So we're in this new series, this Advent called Unwrapped. Um, we're anticipating God's revealed gift to the world in Jesus Christ. Last week we talked about hope and how that God revealed um, that Jesus is his response to sin. So it's a the Christmas story told back in Genesis 3 was a story of terror to this serpent, but a story of hope for us. Um, today we're going to be talking about peace. So uh, go ahead and share with the person next to you, when was a time or what was a place or who was a person or what was a thing that made you feel at peace? When was a time that you felt most at peace? Go ahead and take a few seconds. Let me go ahead and follow up with another question. Um, how long did that last? And what did it take to maintain? You know, like when you experience peace, you usually have to go through this whole rigmarole of, of making it happen. You have to, you have to put a lot of effort into keep it in, in that stasis to keep it peaceful. Um, but usually life doesn't let us do that. We usually have to just move on with our lives and peace ends up being more or less kind of a letdown, honestly, because to maintain that peace takes more work than, I mean, you know, it's a whole new level of, of stress. Uh, to use an example from our reading, uh, the metaphor was childbirth. There was, uh, he, Micah uses the image of a woman in labor giving birth and experiencing the stress of labor to the euphoria of birth. And, uh, and as I'm reading this, like I kind of hear the, the buzz of my more feminist friends, you know, like this is what happens when you let men write the Bible. You know, you, <laughs> you have, you have guys comparing childbirth to, to peace. Um, and having, you know, had a few kids in our family, um, I wouldn't describe it as, as peace. Like it's physical relief, briefly, very brief physical relief in that moment. But then there's instant anxiety that follows it. Is the baby crying? Is the baby hungry? Are there postnatal problems? Does the baby know me? Do we have a connection? Will he grow up to be a sociopath or will he have friends? Like all of these things, like can we afford their college? It's instant anxiety um, that comes with it. I would not personally describe that as peace. And one problem instantly follows another. As soon as you establish a solution, a whole new set of problems arise from that. So there peace maybe needs to be qualified a little bit. And Micah was trying to get Israel to see that. 700 years before Jesus was born, Micah is speaking to Israel, who is not listening to him, because they had, quote unquote, peace. They were set. They were powerful. There was nothing coming against them. They were at, quote unquote, peace. And Micah was saying, this is not peace. This is, this is something else. How do you achieve peace as a nation? How did Israel achieve what they believed to be peace? It was an endless state of fear, of distrust of the nations around them, of force keeping everything under control and everyone around them under their foot. And then they felt kind of a sense of security 
And peace might come from security, but our security does not come from our ability to control our lives. Let me say that again. Peace can come from security, but security does not come from control, at least not our control. We can't force our own security. There will always be factors that we are not considering. There will always be a a dark horse coming in out of left field to completely upset the system. And that's what Micah was trying to get them to see. God is stacking armies against you, O Israel. You're about to get shook. Okay, And they weren't listening to him because they were on top of the world. Trying to, control, trying to take the control, their own control, out of God's hands eventually caught up with them. So we have verse 1 of Micah 5 that says, Muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us. With a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. And sure enough, in Micah's lifetime, who lived at about the same time as Isaiah, um, during their lifetime, Samaria falls, the capital city of the northern kingdom of Israel. They get exiled. The best and the brightest get led out of the city in chains. They're enslaved by the Assyrian Empire. And Jerusalem, 150 years later, gets enslaved by the Babylonian Empire. So everything that Micah is saying is coming true. But they thought they had peace. Really, they had a facsimile of control that they mistook for peace. And for centuries after that, centuries and centuries, Israel gets passed down the line from the Assyrian Empire to the Babylonian Empire to the Persian Empire to the Greek Empire to the Roman Empire when Jesus was born. And peace, at least what they knew of peace, was really just trying to limit violence. But it was still fear. It was still being under someone else. So at the time of Jesus, um, all of the fear and distrust and force that Israel was experiencing now, they were on the receiving end of that. At the time of Jesus, this culminates with Herod the Great, uh, who was king of the Jews. That was his title, king of the Jews at the, in Jerusalem at the time of Jesus' birth. We read about it in our Jesus storybook uh, story. And then Caesar Augustus who was the Roman emperor at the time. These two men worshipped control. They based their entire reign on their ability to control the events and the people and the circumstances around them. So Herod was famous for establishing these great building projects in Jerusalem. He, I mean, he expanded the temple. He did incredible things in Jerusalem. But his reign was marked by paranoia of his own family of his most trusted people he was terrified that they would that they would kill him or take over his reign he was terrified something would happen to his rule so he was also marked by brutality and killing pretty much everyone who was close to him caesar augustus uh was known for his control by executing rebels executing revolutionaries um any threat to the status quo, anyone who would raise up and and try to try to you know put down his rule, anyone who would rebel, he would execute. And there were lots of people who tried to do that, and there were lots of people who were executed for that. Jesus being one of many. So you have the appearance of peace as we're looking back on this time at this empire. We see, okay, well, 
roughly, you know, no major wars are going on. There was an appearance of peace unless you're the guy trying to keep the peace and killing everybody or unless you're the one under his boot heel experiencing this violence. Like, you know, you can have the appearance of peace, but that's not what it was. And the same thing with us. You know, we we fight for control. We fight for control because we think it means security. We think it brings peace. If we can just control our circumstances, then we will have peace. So we have things like insurance and savings accounts. And if I get the right house and if I marry the right person and if I can establish the right family or if I can move into a good neighborhood or if I can, if my political leader will get into power or if the military gets stronger, or if the immigration laws work. None of these things are bad in and of themselves. When they become bad is if they become your basis for peace. If my world can just be how I want it to be or how I think it should be, then I will experience peace. And if that is your basis for peace, you will be rocked to your core. Undoubtedly, this is what time and time and time again, we see it all through this book. We see it all through history. This is not peace. So ask yourself, what would have to happen in your life right now? What would have to happen for you to feel totally and completely at peace, immovable, no threats against you? What would have to happen? How would circumstances have to change for you to experience that feeling? And if everything went right, and if those things did happen, how long would it last? What would you have to do to maintain that peace? If everything went right and you felt that way, what would you have to do to maintain that peace? Because everything in this world can only offer you a counterfeit feeling of peace. It's not real. It doesn't last. It's not eternal. And it's always maintained by our own sense of control. So this counterfeit, how do you spot, how do you spot a counterfeit? Um, in regards to currency, you know, counterfeit bills, uh, officers are trained to study the real thing, right? They're, they're trained to study um, the, the marks of legitimacy on actual bills and compare that with the counterfeit. So you, you study the real thing against the uh, fake thing, and, and that's how you can tell the difference. So here's what God does to kind of establish that in Israel. He gives them up to these invading armies. He gives Israel up in their false sense of peace so that they could confess, so that they could see this was a false idol. This is a false security. And then he shares with them true peace. Through the prophecies, through the birth of Jesus, he shows them here's what real peace actually is so they can identify. And so we can identify. Here's real peace. Here's counterfeit peace. And we can look at our lives and say, here's where it's real. Here's where it's fake. So we're going to do that right now in Micah 2, verses 5. Listen to true peace as God foretold it. And as Christ fulfilled it, but you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up, he will give Israel up, until the time when she who is in labor has given birth, then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. 
and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. So if we're comparing the true peace of God with some of the world's best facsimiles of peace, with some of the world's best counterfeit impressions of peace, you have emperors who were identified with their riches, who were identified with their power. And then you have Christ, who is from the lowest clan of Judah. You have uh, Caesar and Jesus, who were both known as the Son of God. Okay, They both held the title, Son of God, right? But Caesar issues the Pax Romana, peace that was unknown to all the tribes of Rome up until that time. He unites Rome in the peace of Rome. Christ offers the eternal peace of God to the world, unthreatened by wars, unthreatened by maintenance. Then you have Caesar who executes rebels. You have Christ who innocently was executed for us rebels. You have Herod and Jesus who are both known as king of the Jews. They both held the title king of the Jews, but Herod was subject to Rome. Herod could be king as long as Caesar said you can be king, right? And then you have the actual king of the Jews who was subject to none. Herod was born of the line of Esau. Jesus was born of the line of promise. Jacob. Herod was desperately clinging to power throughout his reign. Jesus shares his power liberally. Give some to you and some to you. You get some power and you get some, you know, I mean, he's like doling it out to everybody, to the, to the entire world for eternity. And Herod is desperately clinging to it. Herod murders his family and murders a population of infants and toddlers to consolidate his power. He is desperately clinging to this. He murders members of his own family because he is so desperate for power. Christ actually identifies himself and came as the victimized. He was born as the victimized. Herod musters his troops to take life, whereas the armies of the Lord are gathered to give life through the gospel. So let's mark our lives against the actual peace of God versus this counterfeit peace of the world. The counterfeit peace of the world that says, if you do this and do that and do this, then you can establish peace and maintain peace as long as you work your butt off to try to keep it versus the peace of God who is in Christ. Let's mark our lives against that. See, is our peace counterfeit? Is our life spent trying to lord over our circumstances, trying to keep it all together desperately? Or is our life found in spite of our circumstances? Is our peace a constant struggle to maintain, or is it eternally secure, even when it goes off the rails? We see it all the time, you know, people afraid of what's going on in our country. So they say things like, We'll be okay if we put a wall at the border. 
We'll be okay if we gag the liberal media. We'll be okay if we stop this massive culture shift. And then there's those on the other side. No, no, no. We'll, we'll have peace. We'll be okay when we can start engaging all these causes for justice. We'll be okay when we can make policy shifts and make those higher up listen to those lower down. Then that's how we establish peace. And both of those are wrong. They're both wrong. This is not peace. This is fighting to build something and then fighting harder to maintain it, but it's still based on our effort. And it's not wrong to engage the world. It's not wrong to fight for peace. In fact, we should. Don't stop doing that. But don't depend on those things for peace. They're not the basis of our peace. They're exercises in peace. They're witnesses to the peace of God, but they are not the basis of peace. If we did either one of those things, if we if we fight either way, conservatively, liberally, however you want to identify it, if we fight either way, what is the nature of that peace? What do you have to do to make it happen? And then what do you have to do to maintain it? How long will it be maintained? It's always subject to the rules of this world, but God's, God's peace creates no new problems. And it takes nothing to maintain. It's been established from now to eternity. This is true peace. So to come back to this metaphor of childbirth, it does work here and only here. Okay, Only in this situation does childbirth equal peace. The metaphor works here because it's referring to Christ. And he is our peace. The birth of this child is the birth of peace. Father, our sin is very real and is ever before us. We confess it to you now. We lay it before your throne in expectation of your forgiveness. Father, your grace is promised in this meal, and it also is very real. We ask that you call to our minds those ways that we have broken faith with you, not just as a body of believers, but individually, personally. Ways that we need your grace and ways that you offer it to us through friends, through this family of believers, through this opportunity for worship even right now. Hear the cries of our heart and meet us in grace in Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.